Well, hello again. I'm Brad Owen. I'm one of the elders of this church, and part of what we do is we'd like to have somewhat of an elder rotation to present to you the message. Um, and so we also want to let you know also that we have a group of men in this church who actually buy into what we're teaching here. And so that's why we do it. Um, and um, so, and looking at this particular passage, um, I could see why they landed it on old Braddo. <laughs> oh, sure. Patrick gets to teach on Romans 8. Guess what Brad got? Romans 7. But... Um, it has a special place in my heart because it's just so personal. And so, in the typical Grace Mills River calisthenics, if you would stand again for the reading of God's Word. Romans 7, 21 through 25. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God, in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will rescue, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. These are the words of God. You may be seated. Many years ago, I, was, uh, I had the occasion to go to a, a sort of get-together. And it's a homeschool get-together because we have homeschooled our children for many, many years. Now, those of you who don't understand the homeschool culture, just know that when the men get together during those times, and no, I don't wear that little Quaker Oats hat or anything, okay? We're pretty hip and happening. But when the guys get together, they talk about all the DIY things they do, the do-it-yourself stuff. And the number one DIY thing, do-it-yourself, that homeschoolers do is to raise chickens. I had nothing to say. So during that time, uh, a brother in Christ, as we were talking together, um, I had just gone through this... Uh, study in the book of Romans, you know, and I was just like, you know, a kid with a, a new jar of candy, because it was just amazing, and we had just gone through Romans 7, so I was just wanting to share it with a brother in Christ, and he is a brother in Christ. He is a brother in Christ. But he said, as I was explaining to him uh, the, the struggle of Paul, he said to me, well, you know, when, I don't know if his voice is that deep, well, <laughs> you know, Paul was actually not a believer He was when he wrote that. He was writing a time before he was saved. And of course, you know the dramatic story, if you don't, the dramatic story of Paul being saved. And I said, uh, and I just studied it, you know? I was like, no, actually, he was talking a little bit about that, but he was talking a lot about right now, as a believer, this is a war being waged inside his heart. He said, don't you believe in the power of the Holy Spirit? (laughs) Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, see, we Christians get into these little battles, you know? But, you know, I looked back, and we talked, and we left there okay. Um, but, um, wow, I realized when I was preparing for this now, years later, <laughs> theologians for many hundreds of years have been wrestling with that. I wanted you to understand my bias, and meaning where I lean is what I mean, and I want you to know the bias of, of Grace Mills River. Um, 
No. We believe that the text and how it's written, and in the tense of the language and when it's written, he speaks a little bit of being a slave to the sin, but he speaks in first person many, many times that this is going on now. Though I believe in the Lord and the Holy Spirit dwells within Paul, he's talking about a battle. And I think that uh, it not only speaks to where Paul was, but where you and I speak to as well, who are believers in Christ. He goes on, in order to set the stage, he talks about the law. He needs to talk about this new relationship with the law. And in Romans 6, if you wind the tape just a little bit before 7, he's going to speak to this particular issue that he wrestles with inside. But he needs to talk about a relationship with the law. So Romans 6, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. Oh, by the way, when he does that, by no means. You notice in your Bible there's an exclamation point? That means, um, ooh, how do I say this up here? Heck no. <laughs> he really is not trying to be this licentious person who's setting us free, free, free. This is not like that dance. You know in Exodus that we just showed you before you read that? Came down with the law. The Moses comes down with the law. Do you know what they were doing before then? It was a very unholy conga line around a golden calf. Oh, yeah. You don't want pictures of that. So, but, but that's, so he's not talking about dismantling the law so that we can all just do whatever we want. So just, I just want to hold on to those little pieces as we walk through. I need you to, we're going to gird ourselves. We're going to have all the equipment to go down into seven. We're just setting that stage. What should we say then? Oh, yeah, by no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. See, it's sort of a new relationship in this new birth. Um, we once, when we sin, we were sinning because we, were, we had a daddy. We had a master. It was a different master than Christ. It was a different master than the risen Lord. It was a different master than God. Now, I'm not, please don't go run out and tell all your family, well, I know who your daddy is. But you know, can I say, in our hearts as we pray for those who have not seen and been experienced the change in Christ, they are serving a different master. I used to. And um, though we still have sins, even the good things that we were doing back before Christ, we were doing them with motives that were not pure. It was not really being delivered unto him. And so there was a different master, but being raised in Christ, we have a new father, a new relationship in Christ. And, and that is what he's trying to drive there, that um, we are risen with him to walk in this new life. Sin is no longer our condition. Um, it's, it is, there are actions that we need to pay attention to, but it's not a condition. It's not the distance between me and God any longer. Believe it or not, he is going to tabernacle. He's going to live with us despite the many things we do that hurt others or hurt ourselves. He's going to get us through that process, that long process, that uneven progression called sanctification, which we'll talk about in just a little bit. Um, But now it says in Romans, we serve in a new way of the Spirit. Now our good deeds and bad deeds or the war inside our back and forth heart 
is within the joy and searing conviction of the Spirit in the sanctification process. This process best described by your dear guy in front of you right now is he holds on to us. He's not letting us go during this process of back and forth, back and forth that Paul talks about where I want to do things that are right, but I just talk on it. I didn't, but I want to do what's right. It's also a process of the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that saved us. It's continuous. The same Holy Spirit holds on to us during this time, and he both coaches us and counsels us. And as we pray for forgiveness, he has a searing conviction within our hearts. It's not just a conscience thing. It's not a conscience thing. Though I'm so glad we all have that. That is a common grace given to all men, that we have a conscience about right and wrong. This is different. This is very personal. When the Holy Spirit is within your life, it's a conviction. It's, um, it's like you can't stand it any longer. It's, 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 it's saying we can do better. We can sing a different song together. And it goes over and over and over, and he doesn't quit. That's the process that Paul is trying to drive at. So uh, <laughs> uh, at 9 o'clock on, I'm, I'm not, uh, you know, just this isn't an advertising but at 9 o'clock, our, our care group that meets, and that's just a group of people that kind of meet outside the church because we can't really get to all the things we need to get to personally in Christ and discuss where we are. We get into these little groups. I would encourage that throughout the body of Christ. But we got together, and we decided to do this on, in, at the church Sunday morning at 9 and just invite other people in. So we were going over something called the uh, New City Catechism. Now, there's the shorter Westminster Catechism. There's the Heidelberg Catechism. This was an attempt to make the language a little more understandable. But it, it still holds to the, the truths that are within the catechism. And listen, hey, I wasn't raised in this whole catechism thing growing up, right? I was teaching these catechism things to the kids, uh, first through third grade. <laughs> I used to read one. Like, I, I would teach, like, every four weeks with Larry. And um, we would hit this new one, and it would be a question. Like, you know, uh, uh, like this particular question is... Um, you know, uh, this particular question is, what does the law require? And I would listen to the answer and go, wow, that was really good. <laughs> like, that's, that's, that was clear, nicely written, whoever did that hundreds of years ago. Um, but here's one that we were wrestling with uh, together. It says, what does the law require? <laughs> Check this out. Now, you saw, you saw it up there, right? You saw uh, we, uh, the passage right there where we received the Ten Commandments. But see, it's more than that. It is perfect obedience in perfect joy with perfect motives. Do you see how, do you see how that is like, well, I did really good things. I really did. I did it all. I tried. I did. I did. I did. I did. This is not about try. There is no try. There is only do or do not. Perfect obedience, perfect joy, perfect motives. Before salvation, this described what you had to do to save yourself. That's all you got to do. Perfect obedience, perfect joy, perfect motives. Yikes. Romans 7 describes the law in a uniquely personal relationship to us before salvation. Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. And now he gives sort of an analogy. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she's free from the law. And if she marries another man, 
she is not an adulteress. I wanted to uh, play a clip from a movie you may have seen where it speaks of the inner back and forth, back and forth, this I want to do right, but I don't know how, this war within, but then it speaks of the liberation when there is a new master in the house. to go away. And away he goes, precious. Gone, gone, gone! Smeagol's free! That's the freeing power right there. But, but, but be, be, listen to how he talks about it. He was talking about a master, and there was a new master. And in that case, it was Frodo. No, and please don't tell Patrick I told you God's like Frodo. But, but I'll tell you what, um, Tolkien does, does pr- present this to you as that inner war. And he had a new master, and it was a new person, totally per- a person who loved him despite what he looked like and who he had become, and he was free. Now, how much more? How much more would a Holy Spirit do that for you, no matter what you do after that? I am not saying to sin freely. What I'm saying is, when it does happen, he holds on to you tight, he convicts you, and together you live that life now in a new way, free, even though we do some of the same things. Um, we're married to a new person, a person who does have perfect obedience, perfect joy, perfect motives, 
at all times, every deed, action, intention. That's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ never even had a thought. He ne- well, he was tempted in all ways, but he never truly believed. He never truly did anything that was sinful. I mean, not even, not even wished that somebody who was hurting him would somehow meet destruction. He did it, and he did it for us and on our behalf. And that's who we've accepted as the new master in our lives. What does the law give us? Well, let's tell you what the law is not doing. The law is not trying to set us up for failure. That's not what it's created. The law is beautiful in its creation, and it's beautiful to us now. It is not set up for our failure. It describes everything about God, and it sets out how to live with him, and it's how our life works best. Even people that don't uh, particularly have Christ in their life, um, they, they do follow his will and his law, they, or at least the behaviors, and that's helpful. But this is about a whole different kind of transformation than just doing better. Christianity is not self-help. It's transformation. It's different. But that transformation is continual. It's continual. Your dear speaker up here is, is, is being transformed and is transformed. It's both. Which is it, Brad? It's both. There's so much in the Bible that's both. Because that's the way it works right now. That's the way it works. Um, this, well, we have to talk about flesh in just a second, but I've got to jump to that really quick. See, I know that we're saved and the Spirit lives within me and dwells within me. But see the stuff we're covered in? And some of it is nicely perfumed and looks great. But the flesh in which we're covered in, it's not yet. It's not yet. We're covered in it. That's why after, we should be more dependent upon him. Holy smokes, I'm covered in it. My brain is made up of it. I'm not trying to be neurotic. I'm trying to urge you to dependence. Um, but check this out. What, what could be another purpose of the law? Galatians 3, 21. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. Remember, heck no. Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned, <laughs> but the scripture imprisoned everything under sin, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. He imprisoned everything or closed off all means of self-salvation. That's what the law does. That's beautiful. You're gonna, thank God. Sin, and, and remember, perfect obedience, perfect joy, perfect intentions. Ah! Right? That, you feel that? Ah, I can't do it, right? Yeah, you're right, you're right, you're right. If you feel that, ah, or if your voice is lower, it's okay. But it, 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 it imprisoned it, meaning it left only one way of escape. One way. One way to go. Who, who can I call upon? How, how, do, how do I do this? How do I make this happen? And literally, it, it hems us in and imprisons us so there's only one direction to go. Now, some may say, I'm not going that direction. I'm just going to sit here in the, ah! I know a lot of people sitting in that. And uh, run to the way. It's trying to hem you in to go one direction. And that's the, what's one of, one of the many purposes of the law. John 14, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Speaking of Jesus. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I'll come again 
and I'll take, to, I'll take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. That just doesn't get any more personal. I know there's more. That just doesn't get any more personal. Could you imagine all these disciples sitting around and Jesus just saying that? He's declaring something about himself that's pretty big. But notice what he's saying. He wants to gather you. He's prepared a place for you. And where is that place? It's with him. That's very personal. So Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? Thomas is asking him something very large there. Thank you, Thomas. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, do you know, from now on you do know him and have seen him. Hemmed in only one way. Thank you, law. Thank you, law of God, for that. After salvation, the sin nature separating, from us, separating us from God is gone. Now what? Now what? He, the Spirit, God, can now tabernacle, camp, set up. Remember that song you just heard? Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. Sorry if I'm off key, but you understand what I'm saying. Emmanuel? God with us? God sets up a tent here had tabernacles in y'all that's southern judea talking there y'all that's huge and now what is he going to do in there he's going to do lots i'm just giving you one piece of what he's going to do he's going to do lots but he's going to set up a command center in there for you to deal with this battle within however we still struggle with sinning not the distance between me and God, the condition of sin, but we still struggle with sinning. Seriously, folks. Okay, so we're not saved from the pen- we, we, we are saved from the penalty of the sin nature, Galatians 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent his spirit of his son into the, our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So are you no so you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Sin doesn't define us anymore. I'm not saying go out and sin, but it's not going to define me. Because through conviction and repentance, God help me, God help me, God help me. And it goes back and forth. It's not going to define me. God help us, right? And that's really what that message. You are now called a son. You're called a son, and you're his. Even though I keep, yes, even though I keep, yes, but don't keep. Call to the Spirit over and over and over again. When does it stop? When does it stop? Well, when this flesh is made all anew. That's when it stops. But he doesn't stop. He is more persistent than that condition. Thank God. Thank God. I know I'm sometimes getting loud, but I'm saying it to myself. We are not saved from ever sinning again. First <laughs> John, uh, uh, John, uh, John 1 John 1.10, if we say we have not sinned, 
we make him a liar and his word is not in us. We are not saved now so we can freely sin. Remember Romans 6? What should we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. And you know what that means? How, here we go. Thank you very much. How can we who die to, to sin still live in it? Why would you want to stay there? Why would you not cry out to the Holy Spirit? Why not? Why not? And again, through that conviction process, he's going to make it less and less appealing. He just does. He just does. Um, also, we are not saved so we can freely sin, First John. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Our soul is saved. His spirit lives within us, but the all things new of our flesh comes at glorification. Why? I don't know why, but look to Jesus for that answer. Remember that phrase you've heard in some songs around Christmas? Veiled in flesh the Godhead see. He was tempted in every way, the Bible says. At times he was starving, thirsty, bleeding, dying, but resurrection came. He was covered in it. Why? He chose that, but resurrection came, and that is true for us in Christ as well. I'm not saying it's all going to go away, but I have had little resurrections in my life. I'm not saying it's all drudgery. I'm saying let's be honest about the struggle. That's all. I could stop now, but let's keep going. You know, in Romans 7, I think I told you about that earlier, there are 40 different self-references. I, me, my. Woo! I'm telling you, great men of the faith like Paul, he was speaking to the church. And of course, there's lots of doctrine, doctrine, doctrine. In, in Romans, it's beautifully put together. I could never have done it. It's beautiful. But he purposefully references himself over 40 times in this. He's getting personal. Isn't that beautiful? Aren't you glad that someone like Paul could personally tell you about his own deep struggle? Hey, guess what? What if we all did that? What if we all did that? Wouldn't that be cool in this church? It'd be amazing. Uh, I hadn't heard, I haven't seen that much self-reference uh, about the, the struggle within. Psalm 51, it was in there 31 times. Uh, David goes back and forth and back and forth within a similar kind of rhythm. Um, it's just so, so personal. And now let's get to the core. Um, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am, but I am of the flesh sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that, that it is good. Now, let's hold there for a second. Yes, Paul within these verses is speaking before. Many commentators believe the ones that, I'm, that I've been illuminated, God help me, that he is speaking a little bit about before, that sold like a slave to that. But now he's going to get personal post personal now having been a believer in Christ as he moves along. Now, so it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. I mean, you know, it's just like that song, right? I'm just a poor boy. Nobody loves me. 
you know, will not let me go, let me go, will not let me go, will not let me, let me go. That sounds like you and me inside sometimes. No, 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 no. But see, there's no, there's no hope in that song. There's no hope in that song. He sings it. He goes on to sing. But I know I sing it in the car too, just like you do. Just admit it. But um, <laughs> there's no hope. You know, they always give us great honesty about the darkness, but not the solutions. And many other songs just talk about the solutions and won't get honest about the darkness. What if we did both? Paul does, because it goes on. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my, this is important, that dwells in my members. Not that defines me, but still dwells in my members, my body, my arms and my legs and my head. That's what he's referring to. It dwells, it's there, it's there within the flesh. It just doesn't define who I am. I am a son struggling, calling out to the Father. Just like I did the first time, I continue to call out to him. It's not, a, it's not a constant justification. It's not a constant saving. It's a constant going back to the Holy Spirit that lies within me. If that's, the, uh, that's the struggle he's des- describing. Uh, what Paul is not saying, uh, he's just being honest about it. Uh, he's, uh, he's saved. He's a son. Um, but he'll have this struggle until Christ returns. Um, after you've been saved, you're still covered in the flesh, yes. After being saved, you're more aware of the inner war. That's really true. Um, it's not been easier for dear old Brad. It's not. And maybe we should all get honest about that. That doesn't mean I don't, I'm loving, I haven't had the beautiful transformation to Christ. It's awesome. But you know, I see more and more. The Holy Spirit illuminates more and more the little things I do or the little things I don't do. He sees it, big and little. And all he wants to do is fly towards me. Stick with me. Empower me with, with the Holy Spirit. That's really what's going on within that. And as I get older, I just get more honest about it. That's, to me, part of the process of sanctification, is that we can just be more honest about the struggle, but we can be more quick to repent and go to him. Um, and then, of course, we get the Romans seven twenty four. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? There is, uh, there is one image that comes from, there's lots of ways to look at that, but there is one image that's a little bit stark. There was a Roman, uh, it's not really a Roman torture, it was a sentence that was given that if someone committed an act of murder, in some cases, the, what they would do is they would take that body that, uh, that, I had, that the person had, had murdered and they would strap it to him and they would lash it on him. That's part, Paul knows that, 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 that penalty, that, that Roman penalty. And what would happen is that as the body dies, it gives off toxins and will eventually kill the person who, it's kind of their sentence, and they're strapped to that body. And that is the image that Paul's trying to communicate here. Who will cut the bonds? Who will pull out a big sword and cut the bonds so I can get rid of that body of death? And of course, he does answer that. He answers that in Christ Jesus. But he's speaking about what's going on with them right now. It's a continual process. Very personal in what he's trying to tell us. That's connected to uh, Matthew 5. Blessed are the poor in spirit or, have a ban- or bankrupt in spirit. 
Blessed are those who realize they will never have anything spiritually. Another way of looking at that, that wretched man, I am bankrupt. Rescue me from my inner bankruptness. I got nothing here. And that's where, that's where Jesus steps in. Not just when we first get to know him, but throughout our walk with him. So what do we do? <laughs> what do we do? Confess privately to God that you are the chief sinner in your life. Um, G.K. Chesterton, very British G.K. Chesterton, is an editorial in the paper, asked readers a question, what's wrong with the world? <laughs> G.K. Chesterton wrote back, dear sir, I am. Yours, G.K. Chesterton. Psalm 51 has that same, uh, that same sentiment. But Paul in 1 uh, Timothy 1 says, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Listen, listen. He doesn't say save sinners like me who I used to be. It's not what he says, and that's not what the language will tell you. It's current. It's now. It's present tense. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. That, was a, that is a public confession, and I'm sure he confessed that before the Lord as well. What else should we do? Confess publicly to your brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, when people are confessing to you, if you, if you, kind of, if you let this sit in your heart, you won't be shocked. Don't be shocked. You did what? Oh, yes, I'll pray for you. Don't be shocked. Don't be shocked. I remember hearing that Brendan Manning, who's been, who was a great, great uh, man of God, wrote ragamuffin gospel, struggled with alcoholism his whole life. And then I heard through a person who knew a person that, you know, he might have been, alcoholism might have got him at the end. And I remember my first reaction was, oh, I thought Jesus cured him of that. Now, I'm not saying that people have been cured. People have had that. But he was still struggling until he died. He's not struggling with Jesus anymore. And I, was, I said, why are you so surprised that people are still sinning, Brad? Look in the mirror. And again, as, as we confess to one another, try to hear their struggles without shock or apathy. Speak of your sins openly to believers and unbelievers, appropriately. It's the ultimate Me Too movement. 